Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back for another OG Show Live. Mr. Randall, how you doing? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Real Down... Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for News. Hi, boys and girls. Welcome to once again the Bass Guy Get Fierce. Brother, this is the final cast. Another segment of uh, Chasing the Tide, your saltwater connection on the Paladin. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur, your host. Welcome back to the Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal. Hey, welcome back to Off the Water. Happy here with Adventures of Outdoor Woman Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Rusty Hook Kayak Fishing Podcast. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, go to eastport.info. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur, your host, Brad Hurlbus. And tonight we have on Aaron Curlin. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brad. I'm excited for this one. Um, my shows really tend to have a really heavy Midwest field. Now I've got I've done some stuff for down south, Texas, Arkansas, things like that. I've done a couple of episode episodes out in Oregon in California, but I'm really excited to get someone on out from out west and you're from Wyoming then. I am from Wyoming. Uh, I, I live just outside of Laramie. Very nice. I've not been to that side of this. I've not been to Wyoming, actually, so I don't think I have. I'm trying to think. Where did I break down coming back from California? <laughs> <laughs> That might have been. I'd have to look on a map. I don't remember what route I took. I know I went through Utah. It's possible. Most likely on on eighty. What part of California? I was outside of San Francisco, 
So I would have came right through Salt Lake City, okay. through Reno. I would have. I, I'm pretty sure I broke yeah, down somewhere. Have... Yeah, like I was just coming down yeah, the mountains, and the, trans, and the transmission on my on the Honda Accord. I had an old Accord just completely went went and crapped the bed, and it was actually it was a for how terrible of an experience it was because I was moving back. I had my car packed, the dog in a kennel, and I broke down. And I called my insurance company. They got a tow truck driver. He's like. He's like, have the dog jump up in the cab with us. We went back. He's like, and I told him what's going on. And I'm trying to get home to Wisconsin. And he's like, I got someone we can call. So he's like, well, first he's like, do you want to load this thing in the bed of a U-Haul? You want to go rent a U-Haul? I'll load it. All you need is a loading dock to get it out. I'm like, I don't even want this car anymore. Like this thing was just to get me home. I got a car (laughs) waiting for me at home. That's a good car. This was just supposed to make it one trip. He goes, all right. So we called a local (laughs) car dealer there. And the car dealer's like, I think he gave me a grand. He's like, I'll give you a grand. And I had some family come and pick me up. So I didn't have to worry about trying to mess with a car or anything. And the tow truck driver, it was such an awesome experience from a super small town. He took me to his bank. They gave me cash right away. Like it was great. Like for how crappy it was, like the people there made it good. 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 I, it, that sounds like Wyoming. <laughs> like my, I think my favorite part was I woke up in the morning and I went out to like, went down to the lobby of this hotel. It was a small little hotel. And I look outside and there's antelope in the parking lot. I'm like, I've never even seen an antelope before. And here they are in the parking lot. Excellent. I figured that's kind of got to be like deer hunting. You know, you're driving down the road, you see deer everywhere. You go into the woods to go deer hunting and you see nothing. So I kind of took it like with that same grain of salt. Like I'd probably go in the mountains antelope hunting and never see anything while they're hanging out in the parking lot of my hotel. <laughs> you know, the, the antelope here, like everywhere, like driving through, you you see them everywhere even though you know our numbers are down right now there's there's just a crazy amount of them so to to drive across wyoming i was in new mexico earlier this year uh elk hunting and i was surprised i i even asked my guide i'm like you guys don't have antelope he's like oh no we do we we hunt them right here on the ranch and i i, I was pretty floored that there weren't uh, a, a large quantity of them because here if you don't see them something's usually wrong sure that makes sense it's crazy to think about like just how much that difference there terrain's different and everything. I understand that, but like you're still in elk country, they're in elk country. Like you would think it would just be synonymous with each other. And it, it isn't. No, no, it's not. But yeah, that that's, that's one thing about, uh, about our state is, you know, the, the wildlife opportunities are, uh, are, are pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done a ton of research. I did a little bit when I was sitting there in that hotel room because I had nothing else to do. I'm like, well, if there's antelope just outside here, like what's it take to hunt one? Um, But I know like you have a lot of different species out there and I know you hunt a lot of different species as well. So what are like some of like, I I I do. Yeah. I like to, before we get too far down that rabbit hole, I really do like to get like just a little bit of background. So when did you start hunting? Was it a family tradition? Did you take it up on your own? Are you a late onset hunter like myself? Sorry, you're. Uh, sorry, you're. You glitched out there. <laughs> Broke up a little bit. Um, yes, sir. I know you're in. A, I know you're in a random hotel with probably limited Wi-Fi. So why don't you just drop video then and see if we can't clean this up so we can at least have some good audio? Okay. All right. Can you hear there. me now? Sorry Is it about a little that, Brad. Be- oh no, it's all good. Is it a little better now? It is way better. Perfect. Yep. We'll just go this route. That's fine. All my listeners on YouTube and on the Facebook can just look at my beautiful face tonight. (laughs) 
So as I was getting started to say, um, I like to get a little bit of background information. I like to know how people got into hunting because I'm a late onset hunter. My family didn't hunt, but since I've started hunting, I have a lot of traditions. Like we have a deer camp, we have grouse camp. This was our 13th year of grouse camp, if I remember correctly, 12th year, 13th year. So I'm really curious to like always know like how people got into the outdoors and hunting. Uh, so I kind of grew up in a, in a hunting home. My, uh, my dad hunted growing up from, I mean, one of my earliest memories was walking around behind him, you know, deer hunting <clears throat> up North of Cheyenne. Uh, my mom hunted, uh, my grandfather hunted. Um, when I came to legal age, my mom had kind of quit hunting. So, you know, it was, uh, it, I didn't have you know, that mentorship there, one of my, uh, one of my best friends, uh, his dad just pretty much took me in, took me everywhere. Uh, I went rabbit hunting with him, bird hunting, uh, everything from, uh, doves and pheasants to, you know, ducks and geese, turkeys. Uh, I, I was really fortunate to have them as, as an influence in, in my life to get me going. And then, uh, as I got older, you know, it was, it was, and started paying, you know, able being able to pay for more, I was able to go, you know, uh, elk and deer and antelope hunting and, and, and pretty much everything else from there. So you definitely had some mentorship along the way from not only your family, but friends and family, which is, that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm pretty blessed to have, uh, grown up the way that I did. Although, my wife might argue that it's a bit expensive at times. <laughs> yeah. When you look at it price per pound, there's no way hunting's cheaper than just going to the, going and buying half a cow. That's for sure. Exactly. But, uh, the, the memories that are made are, are, are part of that. Uh, I think part of that equation as well. Agreed. 100%. It's for me, it's all about the experience. I mean, that's a, that's a huge part to me. I don't need to take an animal in order to, have an have an a successful hunt exactly exactly uh you know that's oh in my mid-20s i got into lion hunting and I, I discovered there that uh you know running them with hounds that uh i can i can have just as much fun leaving that animal in the tree and and just taking some pictures and video and walking away than i i do you know when one's harvested now that is something I have never talked to anybody about. Um, so I, I, I want, like, I definitely want to talk about that. Like I have a good friend of mine. He, he's a, we, we hunt bears with hounds in Wisconsin. There's really two ways to do it. It's either with, with hounds or with bait and a good friend of mine. And I've had many conversation with him about running hounds for bears. So I'm really curious to know like what you're doing out West for lions. Uh, it's, it's kind of similar to, to your guys's bear hunting. Um, except, you know, here we, uh, we, we'll, we'll drive around and, and mostly look for a track. I'm, I'm a little different than most of the guys that I know hunting them. I'll, uh, I'll drive around in the morning, look for a track. And if mid, midday, I haven't found anything, I'll take the dogs and just free cast them into a Canyon. And if we get to run something, we get to run something. If not, the, the dogs get out and get a, get some exercise and, you know, I'm able to, uh, to make a little bit, I, I think a little bit better dog that way because they get to used to, to handling in a hunting scenario 
without the same pressure as, as you know, when you're, when you're on a line track or, um, you know, when you're, you're just collaring up and, and dumping straight out of the box. So, uh, I, I think it makes a little bit better dog that way, but, uh, once we find a track, uh, generally we color the dogs and I'll, depending on the track, I usually put my lead dog down first and, and let them take it. And then I go on foot behind the dogs every time after that. So it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, 300 yards from the road or six miles from the road, I'm, I'm following them the whole way. Got it. Got it. So you're, you're putting a lot, you're not driving around chasing them with trucks. You're putting a lot of time in on the ground with boots. I, I do both. Uh, okay. Like I said, so I'll, I'll leave the house at three o'clock in the morning and I'll, I'll run roads until 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And if I don't have something, I'll make it a point to be to a, a familiar Canyon where I've had success in the past. And I'll just, I'll walk up the Canyon and until I feel like I'm tired. And if, uh, if we have a track, then we go from there. If we don't, then, you know, I go back, take the dogs back to the, to the truck and go and try again the next day. Right. And that, that's, I, I kind of like, I guess I didn't specify. I know a lot of, I know a lot of guys that run bear hounds. They'll let the hound, they'll let the hounds go and then they'll follow them in UTVs and trucks. They're not chasing them on foot until they've got a bear treed basically. And then they're going in by foot. Whereas it sounds like you're, when you let the dogs down, you're on the ground with them. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the main reason for that is where, where I hunt, uh, in the time of year I hunt, a lot of the roads are shut down anyway. Got it. So there's a lot of time, a lot of the times there's no way to get closer to them anyhow, but I also run a lot of puppies. So, um, like right now I'm starting two new pups and, and I have to follow them in order to, to keep up you know, make sure that they're keeping up and, and staying on the track. Sure. That makes sense. You're always also, I mean, every one of your, every time you throw the dogs in the ground, I mean, it's no different than duck hunting or like waterfowl hunting or meet with my versatile dog or, or grouse hunting. It's always training as well. Like you're hunting, but there's always training in the background. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if, you know, they get to a point where, you know, where you think that they're too good for, for training, then it's probably time to start some new ones anyway. <laughs> Sure. How many dogs are you running on average then? Uh, right now I have, uh, oh, I have seven hounds, I guess. Um, I've got, I've got six dogs that are running age right now and then an eight week old puppy. Okay. And then, oh, go ahead. Oh, and you know, I'm, I, kind of constantly rotate them in. I'm, I'm probably too much of a, of a perfectionist. I've got my four core dogs that probably won't ever go anywhere, but I, you know, I'm always trying to compliment those dogs. So I'm, I'm, you know, if, if I get a dog that's good and started and he's just not quite what I, you know, keeping up with the, the others or running middle of the road, then, you know, I'll, I'll sell him to, you know, I, I just sold one this spring to a good friend of mine so he could start some puppies with him and, I, I helping him out and helping me out on, on making room for hopefully my next rock star. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, you run them all at the same time. You draw, you throw on all seven on the ground at the same time, or you kind of rotate them in. You have like four, one day, three, the other day, kind of rotate them or can your dogs pretty much run every day back to back to back. So it, it depends on the time. Uh, you know, if, if I've got females cycling, then I just take the females. If, uh, if I've got a, a track that I, 
you know, that crosses my pickup tracks within a, a short amount of time, then I'll just put puppies down or young dogs down on it and leave the, the better dogs back. If, you know, if I don't know how fresh the track is for certain, then I'll just put them all down and let them trail. Uh, it, you know, in my opinion, it doesn't do any good to, to hold my dogs back if, if they've got the opportunity to chase. And, sure. And, you know, it, 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 the more experience that you can give a dog, the better they're going to be. And it doesn't matter whether it's bird hunting or, or hunting lions or shed hunting. Agreed. 100%. I mean, we always, I, I never, I always jokingly say it to new, like to new trainers and whatnot, but it's pretty serious. I always say wild birds make, make a bird dog. I mean, birds make the bird dog. And I'm sure that's real similar when it comes to running, running hounds as well. I mean, it's the, tr it's the tracking, it's the trailing, it's all of that. And those more experiences and the more opportunities to get, the better they're going to get to hone their own skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when, when you start any dog, you know, that, that first few times that they're out doesn't, doesn't necessarily have any indication on how they're going to turn out in the, in the long run. And the more experience that you can give them, you know, it, it seems like the, the better odds are that they're going to, to turn out the way you want anyhow. Makes sense. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So do you, is that, is that where you probably, I mean, I know you're out West, you have lots of opportunities. Um, is that your main passion then is the main passion running the dogs? It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Did I lose you there, Aaron? Nope. Oh, I can hear you. Can you hear Those me? Things. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. For whatever <laughs> reason, it was glitching. That's all right. We got, I mean... It happens. No big deals. Um, I asked it. I know, I know out West you have a lot of opportunities and we're going to get into more of them, but is running the dogs on lions really your main passion? Like when you wake up in the morning and you have a choice of what to do, is it going to be grab the dogs? Absolutely. Um, if, if I could, if I could hunt them year round, uh, at, reasonably successfully uh i would dang sure do it but i also hunt uh i also hunt big game i i really enjoy hunting elk i, I guide uh usually a couple couple weeks out of the year i guide some elk hunters uh primarily archery um i i hunt antelope oh almost every year i didn't this year and then i hunt deer every year and uh i really really like to hunt big deer 
uh, it just seems like I've, I've been having a heck of a time finding those big deer in, in recent years. So for, so for deer out there, uh, I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but I'm going to assume mule, you got mule deer out there, or do you also have white-tailed? Uh, we have mule deer and white-tail out here. Okay. Um, our, our, I think our biggest draw is the mule deer. Uh, just because, you know, most, most Eastern states, um, in fact, east, east of uh, Nebraska, it's pretty hard to, to find a mule deer. So I think that's our biggest draw. And I, I truly enjoy hunting mule deer um, more so than whitetails, although I will hunt whitetails. We have some opportunities where we can hunt. Uh, if I put in for a, a special tag, I can hunt whitetails and then get a general tag and hunt, hunt mule deer in the same year. So I'll, I'll do that occasionally. All right. So there is a mixed opportunity out there for that. Is it, do you have about an equal population or is, or is it more mule deer out there or is it more white or whitetail out there? Uh, I'd say it's, it's probably more mule deer, um, but our whitetail population is really booming. And I think that's why there's, there's so many opportunities for them right now. We have, we do have some areas where you can go up and, and, uh dang near shoot the white tail every day of the season um but for the most part uh most of the state it's you know you get one or one or two opportunities a year got it i'm surprised i didn't i knew the white tail range was big i know it's a very vast range but i think out west i always think mule deer and maybe that's because i come from a state that's white tail only we, i mean we do have they have reintroduced the elk here we have a very, very limited hunting opportunity. There's 10 tags they release a year, which is a hundred, which is a lottery. Um, so pretty much good luck, right? Like if you want to go shoot an elk, I would, <laughs> yeah. if I want to shoot an elk in my lifetime, I'm not going to count on doing it in my home state of Wisconsin. That's for sure. Um, but I think out West, I think like Wyoming and Montana, I always just think, I know they have whitetail, but my mind instantly is just drawn to mule deer. just interesting how that works so like you associate maybe it's because i don't have it but i just associate it with mule deer not thinking that there's a large whitetail opportunity out there as well yeah and i think that that's uh that's a fair assumption um we we do have i i would say we have far more mule deer than whitetail um but there's there's some phenomenal uh spots to to hunt whitetail here where you you stand a pretty good chance at a oh 150 inch whitetail or maybe a little bit better uh the i think the biggest that i've killed is about 130 inches but there's there's dang sure bigger here and you know where the mule deer you you have a very very reasonable chance at shooting a 170 inch or better buck if if a guy wants to be patient um in some areas uh, the past, what, three years, I haven't killed a mule deer because I just haven't seen anything mature enough for me. Got it. Got it. Those. Not, not that I'm a, a snob. It's just, you know, I, I, I hate to shoot a young deer and when I can uh, pass on him and hopefully, you know, and in three or four years be something spectacular. Sure. No, I completely understand that side of it. Um, get that a hundred percent. And, 
then with your other opportunities for elk and other things, it's not like you're, it's like for me, like when the season starts to draw on, I mean, it really depends on the year. Like last year I shot the first buck, the first deer I saw because, well, I really wasn't in, like I wanted the meat in the freezer. My goal was to fill my freezer and I wanted to get back out with my dog is really what I wanted to do last year. We'll see what <laughs> mentality I have this year. Cause I might have the same mentality of the first big doe I see. I'll, I'll, I'll put that down. I'll put meat in my freezer and I'll get right back out with my dog. But I do have a couple of nice bucks on my trail camera, which make me think maybe I should be patient this year, but we'll see what happens when I get in the woods. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all dependent on which addiction you want to feed at the time, I suppose, whether it's, whether it's birds or fur. Pretty much. I mean, that that's a good way to put it. And the problem is like, I start to feel like I won the only year I really got into archery hunting was the year my, my lab at the time hurt his paw and I couldn't run him. Like, otherwise I sit up in that tree stand and it's a halfway decent day. And I'm like, I could be running the dog. What am I doing here? I feel guilty. <laughs> like my dog's at I, home. Uh, <laughs> I, I can, I can empathize with that. I, uh, I don't, I don't sit a tree stand. Well, I don't sit still. Well, uh, in, in fact, uh, if, if you ever see me in a tree stand for a long period of time, you'd, you'd probably think that I was going out of my mind because, uh, you know, our, our hunting here is a lot of spot and stock and, and getting out. Now, goose hunting, I can sit in a blind there as long as there's action going on. If if not, then I, I just get bored and I, I, can't, I can't do it. I guess maybe I have ADD. I think that's part of, uh, you know, you're, you're onto something there because I don't find that I don't find the same relaxation. I like grouse hunting, woodcock hunting, running my dog, walking through the woods. Like to me, that's relaxing. Like, and not even just relaxing. It's the fact I can focus my attention 100% in the moment. And I'm not thinking about stuff I have to do at home. I'm not thinking about stuff I still have to do for work. I'm focused in the moment. Whereas when I sit up in that tree stand, it's like, I look at the same trees for the first hour. And then it's like, now what do I think about? And then my <laughs> mind drifts to, I really could be doing this or man, I got all this left to do at work. I'm like, Oh, I completely forgot to do that at work. And then it's like, I almost get anxiety. Cause it's like, I'm thinking about all the things I should be doing when I'm not. Whereas I could see with the spot and stock style hunt, you wouldn't get that. Cause you would be in the moment because you're either moving or you're glassing a different area. And it's not just sitting in that same spot waiting on an animal. It's more you pursuing the animal. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, when, when I bear hunted over, over baits, I, I just get so antsy, you know, I, I, I almost can't hardly stand, stand sitting there for any amount of time. And maybe that's probably why I've, I've never been real successful sitting, sitting in the tree stand or sitting over bait. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm of the same opinion. If, you know, like elk season this year, I, I took my dogs out and I, I ran them mid season and we actually, we ran a cat. It just didn't, uh, didn't pan out on the dirt like, like one would want, but, uh, the dogs got out, they got exercise. I got some exercise. It was, it was a good time and I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to see the game to, to have a good time doing it. So kind of the, the same, same thing as running, running your dog. I, I just enjoy that. And I get, I don't get caught in my own head following them around. And I was, I was fortunate enough this year to, to harvest a moose. I drew a, a once-in-a-lifetime Shiras tag here in Wyoming. 
and I was able to harvest him the, the second day of archery season. So I didn't, uh, I don't need the meat this year, like what I do typically. So that was handy. I didn't even know moose hunting was an opportunity out by you. I'm assuming that's resident only. And you said it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So it's got to be pretty slim pickings for tags then. It, it is. Uh, it's, it's, they do have non-residents resident tags. Uh, it's preference based or preference point based. Uh, so when you put in there, there are some random areas you have to do your, your research to see what your odds are going to be in those random areas anyway. Um, but then preference points, uh, what I did is I, I, I put in for so many years now that I started looking to see which areas I could draw, uh, found, found an area that I should have probably drawn last year. Um, and there were just a couple of people ahead of me that, that dumps points into them. So put in for the same area this year and, and I drew it, um, started doing research and, and, you know, contacting people over there and trying to figure out, you know, exactly where the moose were and, uh, opening day of, of archery season. And I, I made a couple of, of trips over there scouting, but, uh, opening day of archery season, I spotted this bull and on the second day I was able to, to arrow him and, and took him home. <clears throat> That's crazy. And they're the the game and fish here. Uh, you know, after attendance and meetings and stuff, they they did say that for the most part, and and especially in the more southern areas, the the moose populations expanded pretty well. So we we do have some opportunities. Interesting. And how what what did that animal dress at? Like, what type of weight are we talking? I have no idea. It was big. It, it was. Uh, <laughs> I know they're big. You know, I'm I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a little guy, and when I rolled him over to try to get a picture of him, it was all I could do, and then he flopped over, and I, I gave up and waited for a buddy to get there to help me take a picture. And then did you pack that out? Um, fortunately, we were uh, we were on a river bottom where we could get almost right to it, and it, it wasn't much of a pack. Well, I mean, I can't imagine the number of trips it would take if you were up in the mountains to pack that thing out. Boy, I'm telling you, uh, one front quarter it is basically the equivalent of a hind quarter of an elk. It's it's heavy, and maybe even more than a hind quarter of an elk. Uh, and we took, I, I literally took every edible piece of meat on that moose. And you know, like I said, fortunately it wasn't very far to go. It was just it was heavy and and, and a lot of work. Um, they got there about nine o'clock uh, to help me quarter and and after pictures and everything and uh we finished up about one o'clock in the morning wow that's a long day because i'm sure you were up so yeah they're they're a big critter that that's got to be a a real long day because i'm assuming you were up before sunrise to get where you wanted to be and then you were still packing and then you weren't done till 1 a.m Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very long day. That's, that's nuts. That's crazy. But, you know, guiding, you know, guiding the elk hunters, it's not much different, you know, get up at, get up at four o'clock in the morning, go and hunt, uh, come back, take care of what you can around camp, go back and hunt. And if, if they harvest in the dark, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a, an 18 to 20 hour day sometimes. So it's, you kind of get used to it. So you sleep when the season's over. 
<laughs> it seems like the season never ends. So I, I'll catch some sleep someday. That's awesome. And then for like the elk hunting side of it, when you're guiding, I'm, do the clients help pack out their own meters that the guides packing out most of it for them then? Uh, yeah, I, I, I basically do all the work for them. Um, I, I figure that it's their vacation. Uh, that's, that's what they pay me for. So, uh, I do have some guys that, that help skin and, and quarter and, or, you know, or get them. But for the most part, I, I do the work for them. Um, you know, I, I, and I don't hold any, any grudge about that. I feel like that's my duty. Um, but you know, you do, you, you do get a few guys that, uh, that want to help. I mean, they, they almost feel obligated to, and, um, most of the guys that I'm, I'm guiding now are return clientele. So I know before the animal ever hits the ground on whether I'm going to be, you know, doing all the work myself or, or they're going to want to help or what's going on there. So it's kind of nice. That is nice. At least you have a, and, and it just builds that relationship with that client as well. But for me, if I was to come out there and hire a guide, I would, I feel like I'd have to help pack that animal out. Otherwise, when I came back to Wisconsin, everybody would be like, how was it packing it out? And I just said, what, what do I lie and be like, oh, it's fine. Like it wasn't a big deal. I didn't do it. Like I, I'd have to take part. Like, I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to be part of that grind in order to come back, like, and talk to my buddies and be like, I'll tell you this, man hind quarter thousand foot of elevation up that uh, that, that was miserable <laughs> well you know and and some guys i mean that that's exactly how they feel um most of them will will have them pack the head and cape and you know that that's a that's a lot of weight in and of itself but uh if if they're if they're able to pack it sure um some guys you know they they just aren't able to do it and that's that's absolutely fine too Right. And that's why they're using the guide. That's why they're not out there. Do it yourself. Stop. Can you do it yourself in Wyoming or do you need a guide in Wyoming if you're a non-resident? This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What was that, Brad? I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, do you need a guide in Wyoming if you're a non-resident or can you do it yourself out there? No, uh, there, there's plenty of guys that come out. They do it themselves. Um, the only place that you're required to have a guide or a resident companion is in the wilderness areas. So, okay. and not all of the forest is, is wilderness. Um, the big deal is, is researching where you're going to have your, your best options of drawing. So, like a general license right now, uh, in order to draw one of those is five points. 
I think. So you're looking at, at in, in general, waiting five years in between a draw unless you catch a random or something like that for a non-resident. Got it. I knew I was reading somewhere out there that you needed a resident or a guide. I can't remember if that was your, if it was Wyoming or a different state. Because at one point, a couple of years back, before I really started to focus and dive in just to bird hunting, I really wanted to get out west for an elk hunt. And I still do because I haven't taken an elk. It's definitely on my bucket list. Um, I just remember like reading somewhere, like one of the states out there, like that, that you needed a guide or a resident. And maybe I was looking into like the wilderness areas by you then. Yep. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Uh, and any of the the wilderness, uh, a non-resident can't just go in. Then um, I know it drives a lot of guys nuts because you know it is it is public ground. Um, and I'm not sure why Wyoming does that. I mean, a non-resident can come in and and they can go hiking and uh, hiking and fishing and and do whatever they they want in a wilderness except for being there during hunting season hunting. Um, I, as a resident, I, I kind of love it. I concentrate for my personal hunting in the wilderness areas because there, there's less chances of running into somebody there. Sure. That makes sense. I always thought it would be like a safety factor, but now the fact you say that you can go out there and hike in there, it makes me think like, well, I know, I know experienced hikers. Don't get me wrong. I know hunters that aren't that experienced and that shouldn't be traveling in a wilderness area also, but for a generalization, I would think hunters would probably be better bushcraft people with better bushcraft than random hikers getting out of a car. Yeah, and you would you would think that, and maybe it is uh, maybe it is to alleviate some of the pressure for you know for the the residents. I I have no idea what their their theory is on it, um, but I I like it. I mean, just just me being you know a little bit selfish, I do enjoy it. I would too. If I lived out that way, I would absolutely utilize that to my advantage because anybody that's in there is going to be either with a resident or a guide. And at least they're going to understand the culture out there and understand like how hunters treat other hunters out there with like certain times in Wisconsin for like the opening of our gun deer season, our public land is crazy. Like a lot of our public land is just out of control and People set up on top of people and it's very unsportsmanlike at time. And I understand it's all public land and everybody has the same rights. But as a public land hunter for a lot of things, especially during like grouse season, if I see a truck parked where I'm thinking about going and it's a bow hunter, I'll go somewhere else because I'm not going to ruin that bow hunter's hunt. I have other options. He's set up. He's in a tree. Like he can't just get up and move. I can go somewhere else with my dog. So I show a lot of respect to other hunters that have beat me to a spot on public land. And a lot of that, I just like, it drives me crazy during our gun deer season, just how close people get to each other and just the respect that it just seems like it isn't there. So I can understand coming from like, if I was a resident of Wyoming, like liking the fact that an out-of-state person in those areas has to have a guide or a resident with them because at least they're going to be understand like the general respect in that area i i agree wholeheartedly uh that's that's why i go where i do is you just don't see very many people um and you know and unfortunately growing up and living here you you see more and more of it where guys will pull right in on top of the other you know you you pull into a one section uh you know a mile by mile section of of ground park in the in the one parking place and when you get back to the truck you know there's four people coming in right on top of you or or even when you're walking in 
Uh, there, there's just not, uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot of guys that, that have that same respect of seeing another vehicle and going the other way. And, and I, I, for one, am one of those, I, I just don't like to hunt right on top of people. I want them to have the same opportunity that I've got. So I'll, I'll go a different direction. And even with the lion hunting, if I, if, uh, if I cut a, cut a track and, and I drive around the hill and, and there's a truck parked on that track, whether, you know, whether I can, I mean, legally I could, I could turn loose on the short end of it, but if they're parked there before me, I'm just going to go on to someplace else and hopefully find another one. <clears throat> and that's, that's really the same way I am as well. It's the only time I, in recent interest history, I can think that I've even walked in anywhere close to someone was there's this little great little area I have for Woodcock. And like part of the very, very edge, nowhere near me is flooded. And there's some duck hunters way over there. And they're like probably 400 yards away from me. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, but if it had been a bow hunter in there, I would have walked away. But I knew they were at least duck hunting. I'm like, we're not going to ruin your oh, duck absolutely. hunt by any means. Well, I, I think that that's the right thing to do, though. And it, it's... You know, I think bird hunting's a little different. You know, where where we have our our pheasant populations, there's you know large walking areas and um, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, you know you don't have anywhere else to park. But if you see somebody going one way, I'll go the other, and and just try to give that distance instead of being you know just right on top of them. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, and you see it like. I don't even want to say it's uh, it's not even an age thing. It's not even a generational thing. Cause I've had like duck hunting. I've had, I've had old guys set up, like I'm not trying to be mean when I say old guys, but I've had older gentlemen set up right <laughs> like 50 yards downwind of me. And I'm like, what are you like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is crazy. And I've had younger hunters give me tons of space. So it's not even generational. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I don't get it. Like it's one thing I've struggled with and I know like the internet makes it even worse with social media, but like the lack of respect and it's, it just blows my mind and I get it. I can make the argument all day long as devil's advocate. It's all public water. Like it's all public hunting you, land. I get that hundred percent, but let's be respectful to your fellow hunter. Like they woke up earlier. They beat you here, there, go to a different spot. Like, if you're like absolutely and i i think you you hit the nail on the head that uh you know even though we're we're currently on a on a social media platform uh social media has made things uh a, a competition instead of uh an enjoyment type of thing and you know hopefully hopefully we can somehow figure out how to change that competition mentality into just going back and enjoying what we do and I think that comes down to what we talked about earlier, where you can take a picture of a lion in the tree and have just a bunch of excitement as for dragging the animal. And just like me, I mean, I can watch my dog have a gorgeous point on a grouse and never once even decide to lift my gun because I'm like, it's not a good shot or whatever. And to me, that is just as good of a hunt as if I have a, a bird in my game bag or watching mallards dump into my spread and I never get a shot opportunity for whatever reason happens or whatever, or I miss all three shots because I'm, I just can't shoot that day. Cause that happens more than I'd like to admit. Um, it still makes an amazing hunt. <laughs> I think it happens to everybody. <laughs> I, uh, my, my wife gets upset with me because I'll, I'll, you know, there's just days where I don't want to 
video and I don't, I don't want to want to record. It's just, you know, it's a day for the dogs is what I'll tell her. And, you know, you just have to have that sometimes where you just unplug from it. Absolutely. And as much as I think about it, I'm like, I need to get like good photos for Instagram and stuff like that. And I want to share my experiences, but then I start hunting and I completely forget about all of it. And all I do is focus on the dog and the birds or what I'm doing. And then afterwards I'm like, I didn't take a single picture. I didn't record a single thing of this other than like the experience with like the memory of it, which I'm okay with. Yeah. Uh, well, or, you know, you drop your cell phone on the mountain <clears throat> that's happened. And, uh, <laughs> by time, by time I got to tree, I didn't have anything to video with or anything else. So <laughs> did you find your phone? Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, Brad. I wasn't going back there to get it. <laughs> uh, it, we, we turned loose at daylight. We wound up up over the top of the mountain. And by the time we got there, uh, the good friend that he actually got me into the, the hounds, he's, his legs were cramping up and I couldn't feel my feet. We, we called in reinforcements and, uh, they picked us up on a road and got us back around the mountain. By the time it was all said and done, I was, my feet were frostbit and, uh, and I was, I was early hypothermic. So it was, it was a long day. I didn't, I didn't go for my phone. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't at that point. Like I got to look at the misery factor versus how much I make an hour and I make enough an hour to not, not have to pay to go through that misery again. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the lady at Verizon asked me, she says, well, do you want me to ping your phone? I said, no, ma'am, it's going to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I have done that yeah. once. I was dragging out a deer. And I dropped my phone. And while I finished dragging it out, my buddy went back and he was able to follow our tracks back. And he actually found my phone, I'm like, I, which I couldn't believe it, but I've done it before. I dropped my phone out of my pocket when I was dragging out a deer. And I'm like, I'm never finding that again. <laughs> um, yeah, this this was one of them. We we just topped a ridge <clears throat> and we had a little bit of cell phone service there. So I'd I think I texted my wife and let her know, you know, we're, we're still on the track and everything's, you know, everything's fine. And, uh, we get down the, down the ridge and up the next one. And I reached to my pocket and it was gone. So I, I have an idea of where it was and I'm sure some other hunters picked it up by now. <laughs> no one turned it in though. No one got it back to you. It might still be sitting there. No. You know? And I'm, I, it, it very well could be. It's a, it's a pretty secluded place. And I'm I'm good with it staying there. It could be a monument, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you'll cut a track by there in a couple of years, and you, and you'll be like, I wonder, I wonder if it's still here. <laughs> well, that's I'll, I'll promise you that's one of those places that I don't necessarily want to go again. It, it was that was rough. Got it. So so it'd have to be a really fresh track in order for you to turn the dogs loose in that area again. Uh. Uh, I take that. I I would. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to turn one down. But yeah. it, it's it's one of those places that's just really rough and rugged and nasty. And uh, I don't know. I think we put on fourteen miles probably that day, and and it just was all up and down. That's a lot of miles. And what type of elevation are you talking when you guys are out there running the hounds and doing that? What type of elevation are you working in? Um, so I live right now where I live is about 8,400 feet. Okay. Uh, 
the typically where we're where we're hunting lions is is right around the same elevation. Uh, we'll get up oh ten thousand feet for elk and deer at times, but uh, for the most part, we do most of our our work down on the or our hunting down on the uh, on the foothills. So it's it's not very often that uh, that I'm running a lion at you know ten thousand. We've we've been to nine thousand or ninety four hundred, but not very often. Got it. So you're more that 84, 8,000, 8,500. But I mean, coming from Wisconsin, that's crazy. Cause I mean, right now I just looked cause I was curious, 907 feet. Yeah. And it's, it's a big difference. Uh, when, a when somebody comes out to, to elevation to hunt, they have to prepare for that possibility of elevation sickness and, you know, drinking a lot of water. That's, that's going to be your best friend when you come out. Yeah, I know. Like, and that was one thing, like if I'm not, if eventually I, I do want to make it out there and I'm really want to get my elk, but that's one thing. It's like, I'm going to have to prepare for terrain that I've never been in. Like I do a lot of upland hunting. Like I'm, I'm used to working on different terrains and stuff like that. And I have relatively sure footing, but I've never tried to do that in thousands of foot of elevation with different oxygen and everything like that. Yeah, it's it's a big change, uh, you know. And I, I having that background of, of the upland game, and um, you know, going going from marshes to, to wheat fields and corn stubble, it, uh, it it's definitely different because you're going from you know the potential to being in the marshes and bogs to you know rocky steep faces, and um, but it's it's extremely fun. If a guy likes turkey hunting, elk hunting is during the rut is the deal. Uh, it's it's bigger, it's louder, and they can cover a lot more ground a lot quicker. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I've never, I never thought of comparing the two, but I completely understand that now. Oh, it's I so mean, similar. You know, you get it. Yeah, you get a, you know, you get a Tom Gobbler goblin at you. It's, it's the equivalent of, of an elk. I mean, they're, they're basically just marking their, marking their territory, marking their harem. And, uh, you know, you, you get them excited enough to come in and check you out. It, it's pretty cool that you can you know, occasionally trick one into, into coming within bow range. It's, uh, there, there's nothing like it. Yeah. I always think like, like, I don't, I never thought of, I mean, cause I know people call elk and everything else, but like, that's one of my favorite things about like waterfall hunting is like calling at the birds, having them react and having them come to me. Like, that's one of my favorite things about it is like, cause you're actively taking part in the hunt. Like you're a key to the hunt success at that point. It's not so much your stalking ability. I mean, there's more to it because you're actually trying to communicate with this animal and bring it to you. I never thought about that for elk. That, that, that has me even more intrigued now. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I, I highly recommend uh, coming West for, for the rut hunt, whether it's uh, a muzzleloader tag or, or uh, 
you know, or the archery season. You know, Wyoming's just got the archery season for for the rut. Okay. Colorado has some muzzleloader muzzleloader stuff and uh, and archery all during the rut. Um, it, it, there's nothing like it. And when you get into the elk and they're they're screaming all around you, it's just it's phenomenal. What type of ranges are you? I mean, I know people say when you go out west, prepare for long ranges with archery. So what type of ranges are you you're looking at where you like for me, if I was going to start like, all right, it's time to start like practicing, like to really practice for the next, like the entire summer, like it's springtime. I've got a tag that I drew, waited my five years or whatever it is to get in a unit out there. What type of ranges should I be looking to practice for? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I grew up uh, shooting a compound and, you know, we shot a lot of tournaments and stuff. Um, 40 yards then was about as far as I'd shoot. Uh, about 10 years ago, I went, maybe nine years ago, I went to uh, uh, longbow or, or uh, recurve only for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Uh, I've, I've been able to, to kill elk at, well, I've killed three, three bulls with, uh, with longbow or, or the recurve. One at 10 yards, one at 12 yards, and one at 17 yards. That's um, awesome. So, I mean, it, you you can have them right in on top of you. It's good to be able to uh, ethically shoot to 60. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of times you, you get them hung up out there and depending on, on you know, where where your collar set up at any time, it, it's it's tough to to not you know, just have that, that extra 20 yards past 40. But I, I try to call everything in as close as I can before, you know, somebody gets a shot. Sure. Um, and I try to shoot everything of mine close. <laughs> makes sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. But, and I get that. I mean, if your average shot is 40, like that's what you use, like 40, but you want that extra 20 yards just in case. Cause I pull that tag. I'm only out there for at best a week. I don't have an entire season to chase them. And if, and if it's, if it's a bull that it's like, all right, that thing, that thing trips my trigger and it hangs up at 60. It'd be a shame if you didn't practice to 60 or 80 at that point. So you felt comfortable at 60 that you, you had to like walk away. Exactly. From that. Yeah. If, if you're going to, if, if you're going to want to ethically shoot to 60, you should be shooting 80 and hundred pretty regularly. Um, you know, the, the furthest animal that I've ever harvested was my moose and I shot him at 61 yards. That's that with a bow, with, sure. with a rifle, yeah. that's, that's a different story. Right, right, right. Rifle's but, completely uh, different. Um, I know this is a controversial topic here, but what about crossbows out in Wyoming? Legal, not legal, disabled only? They are legal. All right. And... As as a guide, I like them. Uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't require a lot of movement for your your hunter to get into position. Um, if they've got a, a tripod, um, I've got a guy that actually I pack his tripod for him, and if he listens to this, he's going to laugh about that. It's heavy, but uh, <laughs> you you he sets it up. He can put his crossbow in it, lock it into position, and he doesn't have to be just holding the weight the whole time elk comes in and he can make adjustments from, from there and not have the big movements of, of swinging a bow up or, or drawn back. Um, and 
especially for somebody that doesn't have the time to practice that 40 yard shot with a crossbow, the way they're built now is quick. Um, now, as far as the controversy goes, I don't personally believe it's a bow, but it's legal. And as long as it's legal and ethical, I'm good with it. That's, that's pretty much where I stand. Um, I mean, you already got this for me. Like, I'm a bird hunter first. Like I'm not an archery hunter. <laughs> I, I mean, I still have my compound bow, but I bought a, I, I, I did buy a crossbow because I don't have the time throughout the summer between dog training and everything else that I do to be able to, because I live in a subdivision. I live outside of a city. I can't practice my, I could, my, I have nine yards in my basement. That's it. Like, and for me to go to the closest place to shoot, it's an hour and a half of my day. It's a half hour drive each way. And I'm going to spend at least a half hour there right? If not longer. So I actually made the switch to a crossbow because I can go out and you like go out, practice just a couple of times. I think I shoot rifles and other things. So I can keep, make sure it's still true, still tuned in. So if I want to go archery hunting, I, I feel like I can take an ethical shot to 30 or 40 yards, still realizing that it's still a bow. Like I hunt woods, like it's got to be a clean shot. It's not a rifle. Like I think about all of that, to, but it's more ethical for me because I'm actually practiced with it. I've actually, I don't have the muscle mass or the way to hold back. Like I used to be able to do with a compound bow when I could shoot outside my backyard every night. Absolutely. Uh, and you're still having to utilize proper shot placement. It's not, it doesn't carry the same kinetic energy as a rifle. Um, if you hit one in the shoulder, most likely you're going to lose it. If if you hit one far back or high, your, your chances of losing it are high. So you're, you're still having to be uh, just as pinpoint with your shot placement as you are with a compound or a recurve or a longbow. Um, so it, it, there is a difference between that and a firearm for sure. 100%. No question about it. Cause you don't get that high. They don't get that shock and all that other things. And every time I pick that up, I take the same mentality I took with when I brought, when I was hunting with a compound bow, I like it had to be a clean shot. It had, I, I don't like, I still, sh I have a very, I have a decent shooting fast crossbow. I know it can go way farther, but I always practiced with my compound and I felt comfortable maximum shot in perfect conditions for me would have been about 40 yards. Cause that's all I really practiced too. In the woods I hunted, I didn't need more than that. And I've kept that same mentality with my crossbow when I have, when I, when I do get the time to go out and use that, just because it is still a bow, it is still, it's a bolt, not an arrow. I understand that, but it's still a broadhead on a shaft. It's not a rifle. It's not a shotgun. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not strictly archery. I, I, you know, I hunt with rifle. I, I shoot birds with a shotgun. I've tried to shoot them with a bow. That didn't ever turn out very well for me, <laughs> um, though it was fun. Uh, so, like I said, as as long as it's a it's a legal means and it's it provides an ethical harvest, I think I, I think a guy should use it to his advantage. Agreed, and that's the key right there: the ethical harvest part. I would rather see someone use a, if they're not going to put the time in to practice with a compound bow and make sure they're confident, make sure they can hold that bow at draw, that they're steady. I would rather have them use a crossbow personally, because I feel like if they treat it the same, they're going to have a more ethical harvest. Yes. And, and I have, so I have some guys that come out and hunt with me 
pretty regularly that <clears throat> uh, Kurt carries the the crossbow and I carry his his tripod. His son-in-law, uh, he shoots a, a compound bow extremely well, extremely well. He he actually shot on his uh, college uh, team when when he went through school. So, you know, to see both aspects of it, both of them are very ethical about their shots, and both of them, uh, you know, both of them are are pretty successful when they when they come out. And it is about practice. And and Kurt does uh, he does shoot his his uh, uh, crossbow pretty regularly just to make sure everything's still in tune and, and, um, and able to get the job done. And I'm not saying you don't need trigger time on a crossbow. You still need to practice, but I, I, I mean, I mean, that is definitely still key with anything, even with a rifle. If you're going to go out and rifle hunt, like you should at least still practice somewhat and like make sure to continue to tune your craft. Yes, and and it allows you for an opportunity to inspect your equipment as well. Uh, we had three different failures with crossbows this year. Uh, wow. a, limb, a limb split on one, uh, and then two cables broke. And and what it what it boiled down to the the limb splitting, I'm I'm not sure what the deal was. It was all the same brand crossbow, but I I'm not going to say which brand. <laughs> sure. Um, nope. And then the, the, I wouldn't either. Yeah, the the cables the cable splitting had nothing to do with the crossbow itself. It was you know lack of upkeep on on that you know not not uh, changing the string every couple of years or every however many hundred shots through it. So that that's that's what that boiled down to. Um, so inspecting that equipment prior to just the same as you should with your crossbow or your longbow. It, it making sure everything's right before you take it afield is is going to be a big a big plus for you. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And I'm, I'm very picky when it comes to my gear. You can ask anybody that's ever hunted with me. Like if I'm out and it's wet, like even waterfall hunting, like I'll get back. And if my boat's trashed, I'll set everything up to dry before, even if I'm going out hunting the very next day, I will get everything as dry as possible. Like I don't like mold. I don't want things to mold. I don't want things to rot. I don't want mildew. And I like I treat all my equipment that way. Like all my rifles, if they get wet in the field, they're getting cleaned that night. Even if I'm going out back out the next morning and it's supposed to rain, I'm still probably going to clean it that night, just because that's how I am. Like I don't want dirty equipment. Well, and especially where you guys are at, rust rust is a real deal where you're at. We're 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 quite a bit drier here. <laughs> so if uh, if if we get rain, it, first of all, it's a rarity. Second, everything's dried up so quick that uh, that you know it, it may not be as big a deal. But when I get back in from hunting, I'm I'm usually running oil over everything and making sure that it's that I'm not going to have any rust issues. Yeah, it's something we. Have, I mean, I've had everything during our gun deer season. I've had rain, sleet, snow, hail, pretty much everything you can possibly think of. Freezing rain that was a fun year. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't know that, that I've had freezing rain too much, but we've, we've had just about every condition you can, you can muster up. Um, and, and during the fall here, we get some pretty good, you know, afternoon rain showers. If, uh, if it's hunting season, we're going to go, it doesn't matter what the weather is doing. Right. That guy have that quality gear. The freezing rains like threw me for a loop because the drive in was fine. Walking back to the woods was fine. And I put one foot on my climbing tree stand and it slipped right off and my knee hit the street and hit the base. I'm like, huh, that's icy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and I know I talked about that on another show for like hunting mishaps that we did. Um, but it's like I will never use those quick stirrup ones again. Like there will always like they basically your feet just slid under two pieces of plastic, like and there was nothing to hold like the back, like your Achilles to make sure your feet didn't slide out. Like never again. I will use straps that go behind my feet. That way there when I'm locked in, my feet can't slide out. Oh yeah, I I don't blame you. Um I I don't know that I've spent enough quite enough time in a tree stand other than I, I did fall asleep and about checked my safety harness one time. Ooh. Uh, but I've I've never I've never slid out uh, you know, climbing up one. Yeah, I mean I wasn't high. Like I had like I had just basically put my foot in there and I attach my safety harness when I'm still on the ground. So like I was perfectly safe, but I still I, I'm sure I scared every deer within a half a mile with my knee banging off that aluminum as hard as it did. <laughs> uh. I mean, it was loud enough that I had a buddy, like, I don't think we were within shouting. We might've, we were probably in shouting range, but he texted me and goes, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might have to put some sandpaper on him or something. Yeah. I'm like, that was my knee. That hurt. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh. That was a good one. That was the same year when I went up there the first day. Like, we got up in the tree. Everything was super still. No wind. Dark. I don't know. I don't remember. But it must have been cloudy because normally right now we're in a full moon and our gun season starts in two weeks. So, no way to be a new moon. Um, but it was dark. Real dark. And you just heard all the wolves around us. And I'm like, this is almost eerie at this point. Because this was before we had a lot of wolves. This was years ago. And it's like, this is eerie being out here pitch black and you can hear the wolves and they're close enough, like where the neck, where the hair is standing up on your neck. Oh yeah. The the very first time that I, that I heard wolves for sure. Wolves. It, yeah, it just, it got my attention for sure. Um, and, and especially in our country, because there's still not a whole lot of them down there. Uh, we went up, uh, four or five years ago, I went up with a guy that I work with, uh, to Jackson for the opener for shed season. And we rode horseback into the spot. And just as the sun was cutting up, coming up, they cut out up there. And, and, you know, I, oh, I was riding a four-year-old. He was a pretty young horse and, and he, he got a little, little antsy over that as well. So I wasn't the only one. It's something, new. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm used to him now, but where we hold our grouse camp, like not, not this past, like, the past few years where I've gone grouse hunting, it's either grouse camp or I've gone up for a while. At least one night you follow, you fall asleep to them howling. And it's to the point now, like if I'm in the camper or we're in the tent, like the dog isn't even that concerned anymore. She's just kind of picks her head up and she looks around and she goes, whatever, and goes back to bed, which is kind of crazy to think about. Cause it wasn't that long ago that I'd be like, wait, wolves, like I'm in a tent. Like, this is stupid. <laughs> well how how do you uh mitigate the wolves and your dog i so the hound hunters have far more issues than bird hunters do you bet and i know some of the hound hunters that i know as soon as they opened wolf season their bear camp was fired back up and they went hard on that pack that was that was messing up their dogs and that pack pretty much was gone that uh that that season uh was was heard Far and wide, far and wide. And wow. I, yeah. I don't, uh, you know, with, without getting too much into it, I, it sounds like there, there was a very, very, very healthy population of wolves and is still. 
there is still a very healthy population of wolves. And what blows my mind about that, and what, I, eventually I'm going to have to bring on one of those guys if they're willing to actually talk about it, because I know it's such a controversial topic to a degree. I mean, amongst most my listeners, it's fine. It's when this gets out to not my listeners, right? And then if people go crazy, they, they, they lose their minds. But I want to know, like, you've got towns that are trained on bear. They train them on bear. And I know some of them also train them on coyote, but like, how did they get him to flip that switch to run a wolf track? Like, like that's like, they don't train for it. I know they weren't training for it. Like, how did they get the dogs to do it? Like that blows my mind from a dog training aspect. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got a, when you're, when you're talking about dogs and, and their, their noses and what they can smell and how they can dictate from one thing to the next is, is pretty crazy. I would imagine the jump from a coyote to a wolf wouldn't be too far extreme, but they've got to know the difference. Right. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear that too. Um, we had a pair that, that worked all winter last winter and in, in a spot that I like to lion hunt. And I, I was far more careful about turning the dogs out in certain spots. And even though it was a pair and, and I, I'm running six and seven or, or eight hounds at a time, I, I hate to have one of them be killed because of my stupidity. So Agreed. trying, trying to make sure that I'm able to make it to the, to the catch before, you know, before they can get hurt is, is big. So it's a little different from the bird hunting side. I don't know exactly what our hound hunters do do really to mitigate it. If they can really do anything, to be honest. Um, but my dog runs pretty close. If she's pushing 60 to 80 yards in the grouse woods, that's pretty far. Like at that point, she's starting to come back and check in. I don't have a dog that runs two to 300 yards out there. So I think that's a big, I mean, we have ran into wolves. I've seen two now while I've been out hunting, both times they've turned around and went away and my dog wanted nothing to do with it. My dog wasn't like interested, curious. She didn't, she didn't run away, but she wasn't like, she's like, I want nothing. It wasn't like, I want to go play either, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so both times I've ever had any experience with that, like they've taken off. Now this past year, I took up a, took up a dog trainer out of Illinois for his first trip grouse, grouse hunting. And we came into an area and it was like a light switch flipped. And my dog was between my legs. I'm like, what? Like she was scared. I have no idea what it was. We never figured it out. But like, I'm like, all right. So we worked back around and like we avoided that area. But the way we came back through was on the edge of a marsh. And we had to kind of come past that area again. And right when we got to that same area, she was terrified again. So I don't know if there was a some a, like a wolf den in there. I mean, she's bumped bear before. I mean, she's flushed black bears out of berry bushes and they just take off running. They want nothing to do with her. And my dog doesn't <laughs> chase them. And she's like, huh what was that big furry thing? Like she goes back to bird hunting. So the only thing I can think of is there was a wolf den or something was going on there and she was scared. Huh, that That's interesting. I've got a, <clears throat> I've got a German wire hair pointer that I use for, for finding sheds. Okay. And I I've always concerned with him because he thinks that he's the toughest thing that's walked the earth. And even even with coyotes, he he shows no deterrence, no anything. He's right in their face and and letting them know that they better get out of there. So I I worry with with a bigger one that uh, he he may not back down. And and it's you know it's always concerning. And and unfortunately, 
they're they're going to become more prevalent because they'll come north out of Colorado. In fact, they are coming north out of Colorado now. And, you know, it's just something we're going to have to learn to deal with. It definitely does change things. There's no doubt about that. Um, it changes the population. It changes how the animals react. It changes everything about the ecosystem. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's, you know, right, like I said, right or wrong. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know right or wrong. Right. I mean, there could be argument like we wiped them off for the reason they were here for a reason. I don't, I don't even want to get into that argument. The fact is though, that they definitely change the ecosystem when they come to a new area. And that's correct. Right, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's, it's something that, uh, that all of us as hunters, uh, you know, from the Midwest on are, are going to have to get used to and, you know, have to adapt to. And that, and that's exactly it. Um, should their population be, in some sort of check and control. I, I, I think so. We control all the other populations that there is. I, I don't see why we wouldn't have, if we have the, if we have the numbers to support a hunt, I'm hundred percent for a hunt. I'm for population control. I'm for, I'm for control of all of that. I mean, we impose on wildlife habitat every single day, the more we spread out in subdivisions, like, I mean, it's not like we're not having an impact on nature, no matter what we do. And that's, that, that's right. We're, uh, you know, the, the human population is, is constantly growing and we're, we're constantly moving into, uh, into animals territory, into where they want to be. So we're going to have to deal with them. And it doesn't matter whether it's wolves or deer or turkeys, they're going to be there. That's exactly right. Or I'll buy you lions. Well, and, and from what I hear and, and some of the pictures that I get out by you, some lions. <laughs> we, we do. We, I mean, not, not a lot. There's enough though. There's enough that it makes you, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. Like I could be stalked like wolves. Lions freak me out way more than wolves do. I'll oh, be honest. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I sleep great at night in the, in the woods when it, when it comes to lions and black bears, I'm, I'm fantastic. It's, it's the bigger <laughs> bears that make me a little more nervous. Black bears don't bother me. I mean, I've ran into them. I've ran into them before they run away. I, I mean, I've never ran one into in like the springtime with cubs, different scenario, but when I'm out in the woods, they just, they, they don't want anything to do with me. Basically. I don't want anything to do with them. It's a perfect situation. You bet. I was up, uh, Oh, during elk camp this year, a buddy of mine shot his elk and we, we got him all packed down to camp. And there's been a, a pretty good string of, of heads and antlers coming up missing from people's camps. So I took the head and I, I put it behind my tent where you couldn't see it, you know, very easily unless you came right into camp. And I don't know, it was about 11 o'clock. I hear something chewing on the head right next to my, my tent. And you know, I'm, I'm in my sleeping bag and I counted, I've got four zippers. My rifle's laying outside. I've got four zippers to get to my rifle. And if it's a sow and cubs, then it's not going to do me any good. So I just smacked the bottom of the tent and yelled at it. And then I heard it kind of grunting and I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it's not a bear. It, it turned out it was a, it was a Fox and he made some pretty wild sounds back and forth with me for a while there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> that's funny fighting with a fox yeah yeah <laughs> like, and he he meant business <laughs> <laughs> he wanted his free meal he wanted his scraps yes and and by golly he got some <laughs> <laughs> well 
Aaron, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, I normally give these, I didn't prepare you at all for this. So I normally give the last couple of minutes to my guests to shout out. If you want to talk, like say the name of your guide service, if you want to share any social media channels you have, I heard you say you video. So if you have a YouTube channel or anything like that, if you want to let the listener knows how they can find you, and then I'll also post any links you might want as well in the description. Oh yeah. So, uh, I guide for Tyler Sims outfitters. Um, I, it's as, as far as what I've seen, it, it's the class act, even, you know, going and, and hunting with another outfitter someplace else. He, he really holds a high standard at his place and we, we tend to have a lot of fun in the fall. Um, my, I don't have YouTube, uh, but my Instagram is chasing three zero seven tail. It's all one word. And the three zero seven is the numbers. Um, yeah, you can check out. It's it's not just lion hunting on there, but it's a lot of lion hunting, a lot of the hounds. Um, some of the stuff that I do on the on the side, starting colts is on there, um, riding horses and going to brandings and just uh, in, enjoying the outside as much as I can. Um, and yeah, as as far as uh, the elk hunting and stuff, if uh, if you have any questions, uh, you know about the preference point system and and any of that, definitely you know reach out to me and. If, if I don't know, I'm sure I know somebody that does. Awesome. I will definitely get the links to all that in the description so everyone listening can find it easily. Makes life easy. You can you just click. Excellent. Well, I, thank, thank you for having me on. I, I, this was a lot less nerve-wracking than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> like once we got the like once the Wi-Fi caught up and we were like good and able to like not like have weird glitching, like it really went well. Y- yes, yes. And I <laughs> Hopefully I didn't sound like a complete idiot because, you know, no, was, that, that could happen. No, it was good. It was a good time. I appreciate it. I learned a lot. Like I, I've never had someone on the show from Wyoming. So it was great to hear about like the diversity and the different train you're hunting and like the opportunities for wildlife and kind of how you kind of how you do things out there. Oh, you bet. When when John reached out, I, I kind of hesitated for half a minute and I thought, ah, heck, why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on. All my listeners. Again, thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, everyone, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures. Your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina. The beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. 
If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. And Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.